Welcome to Teaming Up with the Hodges Partnership, a podcast about topics of interest to public relations and communications professionals. Today, Hodges VP of Research and Insights, Greg Serber, is joined by Aaron Bishop from Brand Federation discussing research for PR. If you haven't already, make sure to follow Teaming Up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy the show. Well, welcome to the latest edition of the THP Teaming Up podcast. And today is the first. We have our first outside guest joining us, Aaron Bishop with Brand Federation, to talk about research-informed PR strategy. Welcome, Aaron. Thanks, Greg. Well, before we kick off, Aaron, I wanted you to give you a chance to talk a little bit about yourself and kind of your research journey. Happy to. Um, I have been in the research game, as it were, my entire career. Um, starting with a, a local firm called Allen Newman Research when I was in my younger formative days and uh, then went on to run my own firm, worked with Hodges quite a bit during that time, a little firm called EAB Research. Um, then brought those clients over to SIR for six years and now I have joined Brand Federation. Um, it had been a lifelong goal to work with Kelly, Matt and Ryan and so... I'm very happy to be there and happy to still be working with Hodges in that capacity. Oh, well, also. Thank you. Yeah, they are great people and a great firm. So congrats on that move. Thank you. All right. Well, the first one, uh, first question for us is uh, a great one. Uh, what's the value in research with PR and uh, what do uh, organizations give up if they don't uh, properly invest and kind of go through that process? Well, I, you know, when I think about uh, PR strategy, mm-hmm. um, strategy without research is basically your gut mm-hmm. instinct and often very leadership driven or um, individual experience driven. And from that perspective, it's just really risky. Mm-hmm. Um, I have built a career following consumer and other groups behavior, and I am never not surprised mm-hmm. at what they're doing. And if I, who have been watching this for so long, <laughs> can't anticipate always where they're headed, then I think it, it really speaks to how difficult it is mm-hmm. to know what's going on in the hearts and minds of folks that you're not around all the time. One of the um, first questions a lot of times that will come up when we start talking about research with organizations or clients is actually two questions. How long is it going to take? And more importantly, how much is it going to cost? Absolutely. And I know that is a... Uh, um, uh, a question that's going to change with each organization and their research needs. But generally, what are your thoughts on those two questions? Well, maybe I can start by giving sort of a floor. Yes. And yes, then um, that we can go from there in terms of what is additive and, and valuable there. I'll say that it, it is almost mm-hmm. never less than $10,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, and rarely, unless <clears throat> you have a really huge initiative going on, more Mm -hmm. than Mm $400,000. So there's a a huge range there. It's a range. Yes. On the minimum side, though, I think that the typical project usually tends to be the minimum typical project tends to be around the $35,000 to $50,000 range, Mm -hmm. which is still a really big, um, a big piece of the budget for a lot of firms. Mm -hmm. In terms of timing, obviously, that varies a lot. Mm -hmm. If you are doing sort of a a secondary research review, Mm -hmm. that is... Obviously, you can get started right away. Depending on how available the resources are, you can turn that around really quickly. 
Um, but any kind of primary research is likely to take about six weeks mm-hmm. or longer. What are some of your go-to or what are some of the most effective research tactics? So uh, organization you know, is committed to the timeline, they've committed to the budget. What are some of the ways in which they can go about you know, gaining that valuable insight? Well, I think every organization should be looking checking in kind of annually with their stakeholders Mm -hmm. and understanding where they are positioned in the marketplace, how they're doing against whatever attributes they want to be known for. So that's typically where I'll start with an organization Mm -hmm. is make sure that they're measuring their audiences in that way, assuming they have enough of them um, to measure. Then um, in addition to that, there are qualitative techniques that help a lot. Focus groups, online focus groups. There's a whole suite of digital cool tools that are immersive and fun for people to participate in that keep them going. So, you know, we can go into a lot of detail there if yeah, you want say, to. If you have any examples, I'd be sure, curious to yeah. hear about Sure, yeah. Well, I think you guys have worked with some of the virtual communities that mm. basically take a traditional focus group, which I, do you think it's safe to assume that the listeners know a focus yeah. group? Okay. Yeah. So taking a traditional focus group and sort of putting it online, stretching it out over a period of time and making it asynchronous, meaning Mm -hmm. that the participants are logged on when it fits into their life, but they're very communal in the way that they're interacting. They are typically built to look like a, like a social media page that Mm -hmm. is familiar to folks. And that can, it is so flexible so that we can really fine tune the goals and learning objectives and tasks and fun things that they're doing to uncover um, the learning objectives that are often developed from a quantitative survey, but not always. Do you find that the engagement and the insights are the same caliber or same uh, quality with the asynchronous approach versus the traditional focus group format? That's a really great question. I'm glad you asked that. Um, not a lot of people ask that question. Uh, it's different. Mm-hmm. I do think it's deeper. I think where we sacrifice and lose a little bit sometimes can be if we want to see an immediate reaction to something like, mm-hmm. say you have a product, like a product test or mm-hmm. a packaging test or a taste test. And what we'll do is put those on video and you can still see those things, but it is deeper that, but the, but you are losing that Mm -hmm. sort of body language, energetic feeling in the room that a really good moderator will know how to draw out Mm -hmm. and know how to interpret. I still think though, bang for buck, they're way worth it. So, um, if I, if I am a, when I'm a business, it's few, it's rarely that I, um, will recommend the in-person focus group, but it still does happen. Yeah. I found myself over the last few years recommending the asynchronous ones more and more because the scheduling is can be a the nightmare. Scheduling can be a nightmare. And if you have a client with any kind of national reach, yeah. you know, you in order to get the representative mix that you need, it involves a lot of travel and a lot of churning mm-hmm. costs for yeah. um, accessing those folks. And um, when we can, I think moving that into a digital debt yeah. field is better facilitating more than a few virtual ones. It's always, I hate the five minutes before, because that's when like the emails start coming through. So sorry, I got hung up. I I can't join. And then it's, you know, one person and it becomes from a focus group to a one-on-one interview more or less sometimes. Yes. And you're, so you're talking about even moving the live in-person focus group into a digital Mm -hmm. live in-person, live focus group, synchronous, where they're all on. I, I find those challenging as well, just mm-hmm. from the, um, it, it's a little harder to read yeah. everyone. 
Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I, I find that I have to have a backup person, like one person just to like kind of read the room and keep an eye on all the screens. Yes. And, and let kind of, you focus on yeah. the conversation. I think that's, that is absolutely wise. I'm also loving, um, pairing sessions. So mm-hmm. talking to folks, if, if you're doing a live group like that, talking mm-hmm. to them once and then going away for three or four days to think about what you heard and reconvening. Mm. And that can give you, um, that can sort of help bridge the gap that happens by putting those online. Going back to uh, getting started with research. So an organization, again, is committed to it. What do they need to get started? Like what, you know, ideally do they already have in place or do they need to kind of shore up in order for the initiative to be successful? Well, so this is going to overlap with what any organization should be doing to kind of keep their finger on the pulse of their stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Then the first thing and your um, your research vendor will ask you probably before they even make a design is what data do you have in-house? Mm-hmm. That's the first thing to do is assess that. What studies do you have access to? But more importantly, looking at your own database and what you're storing, what you're keeping, what you're asking folks can you bucket your stakeholders into any kind of grouping? Typically, we see sort of customer, lapsed customer or past client prospects, that, those kinds of buckets. Mm-hmm. And look at what numbers you have. If you're working with a vendor, they will take some of that data for you, analyze that data for you. They can perform primary research with those contacts if needed. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's really number one is mm-hmm. to understand what you have in-house. And then... Um, well, I guess that, that really, let me back up. Number one is making sure you, your strategic goals are clear. Mm -hmm. Number two, figure out what you have in house in terms of audiences and, um, tools to, to leverage Mm -hmm. for the insights that you need. That's a good point. One question that I have to that though, is, uh, what does research look like without strategic objectives or strategic goals uh, handed down from leadership to, let's say, the PR marketing department? Well, I experience this a fair amount with clients who will come to me. Sometimes, usually, it is the leadership that's coming with Mm -hmm. this issue saying, we need insight into the marketplace to develop our strategic Mm -hmm. goals. And uh, a good research vendor will help you understand how research can and can't inform those. Mm -hmm. But typically what, what I'll say is we need to work against any kind of hypothesis. We can do the, um, folks can do a basic sort of awareness, um, familiarity and perception study, and that will give you information. Mm -hmm. But without the strategic goals, we can't, inform and tweak those strategic goals. And from my perspective, going out to an audience, using all of those resources um, to get that primary data and then not asking against your hypotheses Mm -hmm. is a real missed opportunity. Going back to polling stakeholders, um, another, you know, not necessarily a million dollar question, but very important question is, you know, how many, how many is enough? Um, Let's say, uh, you know, an organization says, you know, I have X number of people. Like, how do you quantify a good population size? Yeah, a, a, a fairly decent rule of thumb is to get a, um, a completed sample of at least 200. Mm-hmm. And that can give you sort of a, of a 95% confidence level, some guidance. Mm-hmm. The more you get, the better. 
And one thing that I think can sometimes mislead, especially when you have a defined universe. Mm -hmm. So for example, an association might do a survey of their members. And if the defined universe of their members is 75 and you get a 70, 70 of them return, that's not, not enough. That's a great percentage of your universe and you've got directional data there. Um, but if what you're trying to understand is a really broad audience, look for 200. Mm-hmm. For um, more of the qualitative uh, research, like focus groups or interviews, what's important to keep in mind when selecting the individuals? Uh, like, uh, for example, let's say an organization, you're trying to speak to customers or it's an internal Com survey and speak to employees and, you know, the client, you know, is kind of in charge or leading coming up with the people to ask to participate, you know, what kind of, um, like what should an organization be thinking through and, you know, coming up with that list of individuals, like, um, you know, obviously not just the happy rah, rah, uh, stakeholders kind of what, yes. what mix of, uh, attitudes or beliefs are you, you know, looking for ideally? Well, we always will fine tune this with the client mm-hmm. because the, the stakeholder mix will look different for each one. But yes, first and foremost, we try to impart to our clients the value of having some folks who are not thrilled with you included mm-hmm. in the mix. Um, often that's against their um, instinct mm-hmm. because they feel they know why this person isn't or this in, this group isn't um, happy with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does help a lot to look for a variety of um, um, variety of satisfaction with you. If you know that, a good way to proxy that would be things like um, behavioral things like amount purchased or frequency of contact, whatever you're you're looking for there. Mm-hmm. Then you want to make sure that you are talking t- across the variety of your stakeholders. And one rule, another rule of thumb is never just do one interview mm-hmm. with any group of people. Do at least two to three um, to understand if you have a, a one personality or individual point of view, anecdotal um, evidence, I think is helpful as support for a broader trend, but never by itself. Both if you're doing primary research or for organizations who you know might not have enough to might not have enough money to invest in a lot of primary research, secondary research is great to complement yeah. uh, you know, the work that you're doing, the insights that you're coming. But how do you uh, vet uh, the secondary research out there? What's what's a good survey versus a not so great survey? Um, well, typically, I'm going to say if it's if it's free mm-hmm. and not publicly sourced, I would question it unless it is aggregated by a third party vetting organization like there's um, Statista is one. I know there are others out there that will, I think YouGov is another one Mm -hmm. that will um, uh, aggregate the available studies. So Mm -hmm. those are great places to start. They are expensive Mm -hmm. um, memberships. And so that's just a reality there. Mm -hmm look for dot orgs mm-hmm. is one way to, to think about it. And there's, you know, there's a whole lot of national re- uh, research available, but vetting the stuff that's out there can be challenging. Mm-hmm. So any of the places that say enter in your email for a free white paper on the latest trends of SEO or things like that, be a little suspicious about, um, Maybe. Okay. I mean, your email's not free. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> depending, I think that there, there's where you'll have to use your your judgment mm-hmm. based on who's providing it. To yeah. You. you touched on this a little bit, but uh, 
you know, how often should organizations be thinking about research? Um, like what's the frequency to, uh, you know, be looking at your stakeholders, be looking at your strategy uh, from a research point of view? Oh gosh, as a researcher, I'm going to say <laughs> always. And I, and I will say too, I get asked often, like, what are the biggest brands doing in research? And that is what they're doing always. Mm-hmm. They have three, 65, 24, seven listening and primary research happening like that. Um, that's just not reasonable and feasible for mm-hmm. the vast majority um, of us. And so I think the minimum check-in if you're doing sort of what I've referred to earlier, the quantitative mm-hmm. kind of basic understanding of, of your audience in the market annually, mm-hmm. there are, you know, you can do it biannually if you need to. I mm-hmm. feel everyone can, exp- I'm sure all of our audience can embody and feel the, how quickly things change. Yeah. <laughs> and so annually <laughs> feels like it's appropriate there. What if, um, let's say something interesting comes back, surprising comes back or contentious is maybe a better way to put it. Um, or you're launching something in that semi-annual or annual is too far out. What are some things that an organization can do along the way to kind of, uh, monitor sentiment and kind of, you know, keep a, keep a check on things. That's a great question. And I think a best practice for any organization to think about it, especially when they are, um, surveying their customers, if they owned the, the sample, in other words, like the list of people that they're surveying in any survey, include a question that says, can we, can we contact you mm-hmm. to follow up on anything? Typically you'll get about a 30% yes rate mm-hmm. on that. Um, often much more if you're surveying members or yeah. customers and that's what you do. You leverage that group. Mm-hmm. And so ad hoc throughout the year. If you see something, if you need to test a trend, you go back to that group. It may be a little bit of the choir, mm-hmm. but it's better than nothing. Yeah. And it, you know, if you can afford it, obviously you would want to do that ad hoc survey mm-hmm. without going back to the choir, but it's a good way to, to keep a tight budget. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, uh, everybody's favorite topic right now, AI. Yeah. Um, what are the AI implications, opportunities, threats as it relates to PR and marketing research? Well, I mean, it is, we, the industry is a buzz about, about AI (laughs) and its implications in research because it is, um, a really powerful summarizer. Mm -hmm. And so there are some great ways to, I think a lot of the behind the scenes elements of Mm -hmm. research right now is where it's finding its appropriate place. So it can put together an ABC survey. Mm -hmm. Um, it can put together an ABC recruitment screener for a focus group, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're just going to have to go behind and check it. But I mean, that saves you tons of time and I think puts um, clients who can't afford always to pay for full service research a place to start. Mm-hmm. That's great. Just a few more questions. Uh, so once the research been, has been completed, um, you know, it's, it's never just research for the sake of research. It needs to be presented. It needs to be communicated to other individuals, often non-PR people, non-marketing people. So what are, what are some important things to keep in mind um, that you know, folks who weren't necessarily involved in the process, who might not have that PR marketing brain, uh, to help them contextualize and make sense of the data and to buy into uh, whatever the recommendations might be? Gosh, well... A couple of things. One is to really try to keep it simple. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
we can get really into our research. And yes. boy, I have been yes, guilty of putting together a, a real long <laughs> deck of charts and stuff. But that's not going to be appropriate for mm-hmm. all audiences. Big fan of uh, infographics, some video work if you can, animation. Mm-hmm. Um, also, when you're looking at a bunch of hard data, charts, graphs, regression analysis, N equals, confidence levels, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. I you can just watch people's eyes glaze over. And I think it really helps to intersperse some humanity into those. So using the voice of the customer if you have done some qualitative where, for example, they send in a selfie, you can drop mm-hmm. that in there that lets them know there are people yeah. behind these trends and numbers. I want to go back to something that you said early on about you know, the importance of on an annual basis, at the very least, uh, surveying your stakeholders. But what if an organization doesn't know who their stakeholders are or they, you know, it's just not kind of firmed up enough where it's just kind of like everybody's our customer, that type of thing. Like there's no segmentation, there's no um, specificity to it. Uh, You know, what are some ways in which organizations can, you know, properly identify or kind of get a better sense of, you know, who are some of those specific stakeholder groups uh, might be for their, for their goals? Yeah. I think that the everybody's our customer problem. I'm sure you've seen that a lot also Mm -hmm. um, in PR. And it's an issue, you know, everybody's not. Yeah. And so <laughs> you work and I work too, to help our clients see that and fine tune it. One of the things that I will say to them is like, we can, what is appropriate for that is a segmentation study of the mm-hmm. whole general population. And those are $65,000 looking doing cluster analysis or more mm-hmm. looking at who are the, who are the groups of people that may or may not be interested in your product. Mm-hmm. And um, just getting a little bit more focused than that, I I basically would say you're probably not ready for research Mm -hmm. yet. If they know their category, um, and this is true for any client, whether they've got their strategy or not, but go to your associations. Mm -hmm. The associations are wonderful resources for primary research, trend research, customer research, and so on. And the associations themselves, if they're not doing that on behalf of their members, they should be. Mm -hmm. Any other... PR research thoughts that you want to share. Thank you so much also. Yes, it's been my pleasure. No, I don't think I have anything else. I just love working with Hodges and I think you guys do great work. It's been my pleasure to be here. We love working with you and thank you again so much for joining us on uh, the podcast. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. 